0: Enjoy.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet.
3: It was Monday, July 6th. It was sunny in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Bernard. My name's Friday. We're on our way out from the office, and it was 8.23 a.m. when we got to the corner of Walton Avenue and Adams Boulevard, a used car lot office. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but you can't come in here. We're police officers. Oh, well, Frank Smith? That's right. My partner's Sergeant Friday. How do you do? My name's Binion, John Binion. How are you? I thought the door was locked. Didn't want anyone to come in until you fellas got here. Are you the owner? Yeah. Did you put in the call? That's right. When I found out, I'd been robbed. You want to tell us what happened? I sure do. Only one trouble. What's that, sir? Not much I can tell you. Opened the door this morning, same as usual. Came in, hung up my hat, and sat down at the desk. Yeah. Wouldn't have noticed anything was wrong, but I promised my wife I'd type her jingle first thing when I got here. What's that? A jingle. Wife works all the contests and papers, magazines, you know. Oh, yeah. She writes them in longhand, then I have to type them. that uh-huh. takes up my time, but it makes her happy and keeps peace in the family. Yeah, you want to go on? I sat down at the desk. Opened the
4: door on this side.
3: See? Yeah. Reached in to
4: pull the typewriter up into position. No typewriter. It was
1: gone,
3: huh?
4: Yeah.
1: Knew something was wrong. I'd used
3: it yesterday just before I locked up the place. I see.
1: I looked around to see if anything else was missing.
3: The adding machine and my desk fountain
4: pen are gone, too.
3: Now, how about the outside? Are there any cars missing? Yeah. One... A 1953 Dodge. I was saving the real bad news to last. All right, we'll need a description, the color, the model, the engine number.
1: Mm-hmm. I knew you'd want it. Got it all
3: right here on this card. Here you go. Okay. Better call this in, huh? Yeah. I
1: know.
3: Late in Princeton lab, too. Huh? Right. You can use either phone. Thank you. Can you give us the serial numbers on the typewriter and the adding machine? Have to talk to Mabel first. She has them filed someplace. That's your secretary? Yeah. Mr. Day off. Well, now, as far as you know, then, you've told us about everything that was taken. Yeah. yeah. Were these windows locked when you came in? Yeah. I never open them. Don't have to. Place is air conditioned. Uh, you say the front door was locked, huh? Yeah. Extra keys gone from the board, though. Well, this will be right out there. All right. What were you saying about those keys? Want to step over here? I'll show you. Now, these are the keys for the cars on the lots, all labeled. Here's where the keys for the Dodge were. Mm hmm. This hook had the extra key for the front door. Mm-hmm. Binion, how many keys are there for the office? Three. I have one, Mabel has one, the other one was on the board. How long has she worked for you? Mabel? That's right. About eight years. If you think she had anything to do with this, forget it. I'd as soon accuse my own wife. I wouldn't understand it. but we'll have to talk to her. All right. I'll call Mabel and have her come down. We'd appreciate that. I know she didn't have anything to do with this. I'll give you odds on that. Anyway, I've read in the papers recently where there have been other burglaries like this. Yeah. My money says it's somebody with experience. Maybe. You must have some idea who's doing it. Well, we're working on it. In other words, you don't have much to go on. Not a lot. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound too good for me. I mean, my chances of getting my property back. We'll do what we can, sir. I know, but if you don't have any leads, if they don't make any mistakes, there's much you can do, is there? Seems to me the thieves always have the edge. Yeah, it begins that way. Huh? They always start before we do. Crews from the crime lab and Leighton Prince went over the office. John Binion's secretary came in, but after questioning her, we decided she had nothing to do with the crime. She went through her desk and told us that a check made out to her employer was missing. Binion called his bank and they promised to notify him if the check was cashed and returned to them. We got the serial numbers on the adding machine and the typewriter and we notified pawn shop detail. Bulletins were also sent to second-hand stores. The latest burglary was similar to others that we'd been investigating. The thief's M.O. was no different than we had on file, and to date, we had been unable to make any recoveries. We talked to informants, but they could give us no leads to the identity of the burglar. The report from the crime lab was the same as on all the other thefts. Entry had been made through the door. The lock had not been forced, indicating either the use of a key or some instrument to pick the lock. Latent prints failed to find any usable fingerprints. Tuesday, July 14th, 1031 a.m. Yeah, I got it. Burglary Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With your name? you have it now? All right, we'll be right out. Right, bye. It was <coughs> Binion he called from his bank. Yeah? I think he turned a lead. What do you mean? Stolen check was cashed. When we got to John Binion's office, he showed us the check. We compared the endorsement with his signature, and it proved to be a good forgery. The check had been cashed by a Sylvia Carnes. Frank and I drove to the address. It was a small bookstore at the corner of Citrus Avenue and Hollywood Boulevard. Miss Carnes was shown the check, and we asked if she remembered who'd given it to her. Let
5: me think now. Um, now, let not too good on people's names. Let me take the sales slips for that day. I should have a record of what he bought. Excuse me. Yes, ma'am. I forget names, when I look at the books they buy, most of the time I can remember the person. Mm-hmm. yeah, here they are.
3: You always write the name on cash sales?
5: Yes. It's a good way to build a mailing list. Mm-hmm. Here it is. John Binion on the 8th. see.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, can you remember anything about the man?
5: I might. May I have to slip, Mr. Friday? Here you are. Mm. From Blackboard to Back Bay. Oh. Yes. This is by a country school teacher. Gave up the little red schoolhouse to become a private tutor. Tells about some of his problems and how he dealt with them. Quite amusing. Yes,
3: ma'am. But does it remind you of anything about the man?
5: No. Well, let's see what else he bought. Locks down through the ages. I never read that one. I guess it's about locks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm beginning to remember.
6: Yes,
3: ma'am.
5: He said locks were a hobby with him. Does that mean anything to you?
3: Yes, yeah, it might. But can you tell us anything about the man's looks? Well,
5: now, let's see. I guess he was about your size. Me, ma'am? No, he wasn't quite as... Well, he looked more like Mr. Friday.
3: Yeah. How about his coloring?
5: He had dark hair. Straight.
3: hmm Did he have any marks on his face that we might use to identify him?
5: Not that I recall.
3: Could you tell us anything about how he was dressed? I'm afraid not.
5: Other book was The Window Without Curtains. Mm-hmm. Now, that reminds me of something.
3: What's that?
5: His voice. Yeah. seemed almost too precise, too perfect.
3: Did you notice any accent? no. Is there anything else you can tell us about his looks?
5: Mm, no.
3: What kind of identification did he show you?
5: A driver's license. And
3: it was made out to John Binion?
5: That's right. I copied the name of the sales slip from it.
3: Mm-hmm. That's the only identification he showed
5: you? Yes, I didn't ask for any more. He seemed to know a lot of the business people in this neighborhood. No. Mentioned them by name, said he lived near here before he got married. I see. No, well, I've been in business for six years. This is my first loss on the check. Is that right, I've Always been so careful. This man, though, he seems so honest, so polite. Mm-hmm. He's sure rough on me. I have to suffer the loss. Check us for $30. He only bought $10 worth of books. I gave him $20 of my own money.
7: It's a real loss, I can tell you.
3: Oh, yes, ma'am. There's one thing in your favor. What's that? He's going to feel it more than you will. <laughs> From what Sylvia Carnes told us, we knew that our suspect was also a forgery artist, or he had connections that could furnish him with suitable identification. Assuming the suspect might still live in the neighborhood, we spent the rest of the day questioning people in the area. We failed to come up with any leads. The next day, we started the canvas again. The manager of a small hotel told us that a man named Paul DeRoe was living there who could fit the partial description we had. In the manager's company, we went upstairs to look through the room.
4: Hey, Joe. Yeah.
3: Picture on the wall, some kind of certificate, too. Looks like it's written in German. Wanna take a look? Well. Mm hmm. Looks like Dutch to me. You see there? The guy's wearing a 45. Looks like he's carrying an American carbine. Well, he's not wearing any kind of a uniform. Mm.
4: Well, what, what he's trying to prove.
3: Certificate probably says what it's for, huh? Yeah, maybe. Let's find out if this is DeRoe in this picture here. Mr. Blinker, will you take a look at this and tell us if it's Duro?
4: Yeah, sure. What do you say? I was younger here, but I'd say it's
3: him. All right, thank you. Frank? Just a minute, Joe. Better see if Miss Carnes can make an identification from this picture. Yeah, take a look at this. Just turned it. Mm-hmm. Found it up there on the shelf, wrapped in that oil tobacco pouch. Yeah, torsion bars, vibrator, ballpoint picks. It works. Looks like good steel, too, doesn't it? Well, guess we got the right room. Unless they all come with burger kits. and I continued to search the room. Besides the burger kit, we found three books with the same titles as those bought with a stolen check. Sylvia Carnes identified the picture as being the same man that had passed the check. We called the office and asked them to run the name and description of Paul DeRoe through r and A local and an APB were gotten out on the suspect. Frank and I went back to the hotel and decided because of the physical setup of the lobby, it would be better to wait in the suspect's room. The manager took over the desk and we arranged for him to notify us with one long ring on the phone when DeRoe asked for his key. Three hours went by. 9.13 p.m. That's it. Yeah. All right, hold it right there. Oh! Get the light, Frank. Yeah. Who are you? Police officers. What are you doing here?
7: You're police, eh?
3: That's right. Who are you?
7: Paul sent me up here. Paul DeRoe? That's right. Where's he now? Why do you want to know?
3: Come on, lady, where is he?
7: Waiting for me. Where? Outside in the car. Is he still waiting? I don't know. What do you mean? Well, he left me off at the door. There wasn't any place to park.
3: All right, go ahead.
7: He was going to drive around the block and pick me up.
3: What kind of a car is he driving?
7: Well, I'm not sure.
3: You rode in it, didn't you? Yes. Well, don't you know what kind it is?
7: I didn't pay any attention. Well, what do you mean? Well, he drives so many different kinds. <laughs>
3: girl Darlene Potter with us and we went down to the lobby. She was instructed to go out to the street and meet Garo. Frank and I followed her. There was no car waiting outside the hotel. On the chance that he might have parked and was waiting for the girl, Frank went up the street and then crossed to the other side. I walked down the street toward our car. Garo failed to show up. We went back to the hotel and asked the manager to call us if the suspect returned and then we took the girl down to the city hall. During the trip she maintained she didn't know what make car he was driving. She said he told her that he was an automobile salesman, but he also worked as a private teacher. We ran her name through R&I, but we found no record. The run on the name Paul DeRoe had failed to turn a package. Leighton French was requested to go over DeRoe's room, 10.02 p.m. We continued to interrogate Darlene Potter. How long have you known DeRoe?
7: I told you before, three months.
3: who do he say he worked for?
7: He never said.
3: Where'd he teach?
7: Private homes.
3: Can he give us their names?
7: No, I can't tell you. You don't know? That's right. He just said he taught. Never said where. What did he teach? Language. What language? French, I think. You haven't told me what this is all about, but I'm sure there's a mistake. Paul wouldn't have to do anything wrong.
3: Why do you say that?
7: He's too intelligent.
3: Well, it doesn't look that way right now, does it?
7: Paul's a hero.
3: What else do you know about him? What? His background. Where's he from? Well,
7: I'm not sure. I, I think he said something once about going to school in Paris.
3: He's an American citizen?
7: I just assumed he was. He never said anything different.
3: Uh-huh.
7: Can't you tell me what he's done?
3: We'd like to talk to him about some burglaries and some car thefts.
7: Paul wouldn't steal?
3: Well, maybe so, ma'am. We've got good reason to think he did.
7: Well, there's some mistake. It doesn't fit with the kind of person he is. What do you mean that? It might not make much sense to you. Well, give us a try. Paul was in the war. That's so? Yes, maybe you saw the picture in citation in his room.
3: Yeah, we did. What about
7: it? He fought with the Dutch Underground Forces.
3: He told you that, did he?
7: Yes. He only talked about it once or twice. I think he was in that group. I, I don't remember the name, but... They went in and organized the resistance forces before the invasion. Uh Uh-huh. You're pretty sure Paul is the man you want. Looks that way, yes, ma'am. Hard to believe. But there's a reason for it. I guess he took a lot of chances during the war. Must have changed him. He hasn't changed.
3: Further interrogation of Darlene Potter convinced us that she knew the suspect only as a friend. When we drove her home, she gave us a more recent snapshot of Doreau. The next day, copies were made and distributed to radio patrol units. Frank and I went back to the hotel to make another check of the room to try and find something that might lead us to any of his friends or associates. We found a list of names and addresses under a desk blotter. The first four people that we talked to all told us the same thing. They said that the man known as Paul DeRoe was a private tutor for their children. The only address that any of them had for him was the hotel. At two of the homes, we were told he came to teach on Wednesdays. One party said he came on Saturdays, and the other one said he came on Tuesdays. 4.03 p.m. We identified ourselves and were admitted to a home on Chatham Drive by a Mrs. Grace Findlay.
8: Well, won't you gentlemen be seated? Thank,
3: Thank you very much,
8: Missy. Well, what was it you wanted to see me about?
3: Well, Miss Findlay, we'd like you to look at this picture and tell us if you recognize this man. There
8: you are. Certainly. Why, yes, that's Paul Doreau. I
3: wonder if you'd mind telling us what you know about him.
8: Well, I'm not sure I understand just what you mean.
3: Well, is he a friend of the family?
8: Yes, in a way. He's the children's French teacher. Uh-huh. He's not in trouble with the police, is he?
3: We'd like to talk to him.
8: I hope it isn't serious.
3: Well, it might be, Miss Finley.
8: Serious enough to have him put in jail? Might be. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. He's been so wonderful with the children. Mm -hmm. He's the third teacher we've had. Somehow they never liked the others, but they're just crazy about Paul. You're certain he's done something wrong?
3: We'd like to find him and get his side of the story. Now, do you have a home address for him?
8: Yes. Does he know you're looking for him? We wouldn't know that, Neil. Strange. How's that? Well, I was thinking if you're looking for him and he knows it, it's odd he'd call here today.
3: You talked to him today?
8: Yeah. Thursdays to give the children their instructions. Yes, ma'am. He said he'd be here at 5 o'clock.
3: With Mrs. Findlay's permission, Frank drove our car into the garage and then we waited for Darrell to arrive. While we were waiting, Mrs. Findlay told us that when DeRoe had applied for the job, he'd showed her several letters of recommendation from families in the East. Because of his intelligence and her children's instant liking for him, she hadn't made a check on his background. She went on to say that she had noticed him driving several different makes of cars, but she couldn't give us a description of any of them. 5.06 p.m., the front doorbell rang. That
8: must be him. I hope there's no trouble. All right, you wait here, Mrs. Findlay. All right. And don't worry about it.
3: Hold it right there, Duro. police officers. This is hardly the reception expected. All right, move over. Put both hands up against the door. Come on, move.
4: We use the same method. Frank. Yeah, this clean, I could have told you, gentlemen, that I'm not in the habit of coming to a client's home
3: carrying a gun. All right, turn around. Get your chance behind your back.
4: But couldn't we dispense with the handcuffs? This is
3: rather embarrassing. Well, you'll get used to it. I was thinking about the children. I don't want them to see me like this. You should have thought about that sooner. Better get the car, huh? Right. I imagine this is about the check I cashed. A few other things. I worked with the Americans during the war. That so? I learned a good many things about them.
4: Very resourceful, brilliant, and eager to help the less fortunate.
3: You forgot one thing, didn't you? What's that? They don't like to be robbed. We contacted the office and had them send another team out to pick up the car DeRoe had driven and take it down to the police garage. On the way down to the city hall, the suspect told us he'd been in this country about six months. He refused to talk about anything except what a great country he thought America was. Frank went to check with DMV on the suspect's car, and I took Duro to the interrogation room. It's wonderful. It's the only place in the world to live. Yeah, well, all right, Duro. We got the idea you're sold on this country. Now let's get on to cases and talk about the reason we're here. How about it?
4: It might as well
3: be now as later. All right, fine. You want to start by telling us what you did with this stuff?
4: I spent the money. The books are in my room.
3: What about the other things you stole? No, there must be some mistake. I didn't steal anything. Well, you cashed a forged check, didn't you? Yes, I admit that. And the check was stolen? It's possible, but I didn't take it. You expect us to buy that, Darrell? That's entirely up to you. Where'd you get it? If I said I found it, could you prove otherwise? That won't be necessary. We can nail you on a forgery wrap right now. That's what I had in mind. I have no desire to be connected with anything else. Well, you seem pretty anxious to pick up that tab. Well, it's only right. I took a chance and lost. I'm willing to settle for my mistake. Yeah, well, that's real big of you, but I got a hunch we'll be able to tag you with more than a 470. Sure, so, let me see a Yeah. What do you got? Well, I'm not sure now we got the right guy in the car theft.
5: What?
3: I checked with DMV. The car DeRoe is driving is registered to a Seward car company. I called him. Yeah. They tell me he works for him. We continued to question DeRoe, but he refused to admit any knowledge of the burglaries and the car theft. He was booked on suspicion of 470 PC and taken to the main jail. The next morning, the owner of the bookstore identified the suspect in a show-up. We questioned him again, but he failed to admit anything but the check forgery. 9.23 a.m., Frank and I returned to the office. You got a hand it to the guy. He's cool. Yeah, but he's too ready to buy in on that 470. Yeah.
4: I'll check the book.
3: All right.
4: Here's a number for you to call, Joe.
3: Is there any name on it? Yeah, a fellow named Isler. Do you have any reason for the call? Nope. Hello, I'd like to speak to Mr. Reiner, please. This is Sergeant Friday, Police Department. That's right. I see. All right, sir, we'll be right out. Do you want to give me that address? 347. Right. Thank you. A fellow runs a garage, saw the spread on our suspect in the morning paper. Yeah? He says from the description they gave, DeRoe was in his garage. Uh huh. Brought a car in to be painted. Uh-huh. Frank and I drove out to the garage, and when we showed DeRoe's picture to Frank Eilers, he identified him as the man who had brought in a Nash sedan to be repainted. We checked the engine number and found it listed as stolen. We went back to the office. Here's that FBI kickback. Did you read it? No, I just picked it up. Yeah, listen to this. Paul J. Duro, alias Paul Dawson, alias Peter Duncan. True name, Philip Paul Dorrance. Got much of a record? You'd have to take a day off to read it all. Hmm. Served terms for burglary in GTA. He's been at all the best hotels. Joliet, Sing Sing, Atlanta. Born and raised in this country. What about that war record? Joliet, 1938 to 1946. How do you like that? Well, he sure went to a lot of trouble, having his picture taken and that get-up and that phony certificate. The way that picture looked, all those trees in the countryside, sure looked like Holland to me, didn't it to you, Joe? Well, that's our big trouble. What do you mean? We never been to Holland. We went back to the main jail and had the suspect brought to the interview room. He still denied any connection with the burglaries and the car thefts. 12.16 p.m.
4: With my war record, I don't have to be subjected to this. Now, look,
3: we got you made on the check, and it won't be hard to prove you stole that car. Your story falls apart like a $4 suit.
4: I have great admiration for the Americans.
3: Yeah, you've been telling us that. I managed to escape situations more difficult than this during the war. I was trained for it. Yeah, you told us. Of course, there was some difference then. We were all
4: on the same side and fighting for the same things. You
3: know you're doing a lot of talking, but you're not saying anything.
4: I'll tell you what you want to know. You do that? Yes. Well, all right, go ahead. I will. But first, I'd like to tell you about the shoes. About what? Shoes. What about I fought with the Dutch Underground. Now, for a man to fight, two things are important. Is that so? A gun and a good pair of shoes. Mm Mm-hmm. Many of us who wanted to fight had neither. One of your OSS men contacted us and said... We would get them. And one night, a plane came over and dropped containers by parachute. Yeah. The man kept his promise. We got guns the fine carbines, and we got shoes. When daylight came, I looked at mine very closely. They had stamped on them, Made in America. Yeah. And that's when I made up my mind. You did? Yes, I decided that someday I would come to the United States. Mm -hmm. I knew if I wasn't killed,
3: I'd come here. Yeah, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? Yes, and I regret that I'll lose my chance to become a citizen. They may even deport me for this. No farther than the nearest jail. Now, please don't make light of my predicament. I admit I made this one. Oh, come on, look. Settle down, will you? I can buy a better story than yours in any magazine. All right. I didn't want to do this. But I insist that you call the Dutch Consul. They never heard of you. Well, there must be a mix up of some sort. Somebody must know me. Yeah, sure. Every prison warden in the United States. You've got a record that'll reach from here to Holland, but that's the closest you've ever been. Your real name's Philip Dorrance. The only war you ever fought was in the prison library over the daily papers. You've been in and out of every joint in the country. Now there's more. Do you want the rest of it?
4: No, I guess that's enough, isn't it?
3: I might as well admit it. I'm a burglar and a car thief. You left one out. What? You're a
2: liar. Paul Michael Duro was tried and convicted of burglary in the second degree three counts. Grand theft auto three counts and forgery one count. He received sentence as prescribed by law. Burglary in the second degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one or more than 15 years. Grand Theft Auto is punishable by imprisonment for not more than 10 years. Forgery is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one or more than 14 years. Dragnet, the story of your police force in action, is a presentation of the
3: United States Armed Forces Radio Service. <laughs>
1: Have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. For the past three weeks, a strong arm hold up man has been terrorizing the downtown area. You've got a description of the thief and a method of operation for him. Your job
2: find him. Monday, May 3rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were
3: working the night watch out a robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detective Thad Brown. My name's Friday. I was on the way back to the office. It was 4.02 p.m. when I got to room 27. Robbery. Hi, Joe. Hi, Jim. How's it going? Pretty good. What do you got here?
2: Well, it's a new gimmick they're trying.
3: Well, what's it do?
2: Suppose let all of us in the room hear what comes over the hot shot phone.
3: You mean without picking it up, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's it work? Well,
4: look, I'll show you this knob here is the volume control. Mm-hmm. You just turn it on, put the phone on it like this. You have to adjust this little
3: gizmo so it fits the earpiece. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Where do we hear it? Through that speaker over there. Uh-huh. We've got another one hooked up in the squad room. Well, we ought to be able to hear it any place then, huh? Yeah. You don't have to get up and pick up the receiver. You can hear the whole call. Should make a lot easier. We're going to keep it? We're just trying it out. The way it looks, we'll leave it in.
1: Ought to save a lot of steps. Yeah
3: the phone-a-deck, huh? Yeah, works good. A lot better than trying to juggle a phone on your shoulder and write at the same time. And the desk man doesn't have to repeat what's said to everybody in the room. All right, I only got one question. What's that? Wilson and Market Street, southeast corner, 211 and Slugging. Never mind, I just got the answer. Huh? It works. Wilson and Market Street, southeast corner, 211 and Slugging. Frank, Jim, Austin, and I left the city hall. There was no way of telling from the hotshot call if the suspect was the one we were looking for or not, but either way, we had to check it out. It took us three minutes to get to the scene. An ambulance was in the area, and they'd answered the call. The attendant was giving the victim first aid. She was a woman in her late 50s or early 60s. Please. Oh, do
9: something. I can't stand my soul. Please do something. right, if we talk to her. Yeah, make it brief. We've got to move her in as soon as we
4: can. All right. Lady, I'm a police officer. I've got to talk to you. Oh,
9: go away. I can't talk to anybody. Can't you give me something? Please, it hurts. so. No.
3: Oh, we'll take care of it. You. you just try to relax. You got a name on her? The there, uh, Myra McFadden. Mrs. McFadden, can you tell us who did it?
9: No reason. I've given him money. He didn't have to kick me.
3: Was it one man? When
9: he asked for it, I'd it to him.
4: Did you see who it was?
9: I can't stand it anymore. Please.
4: What's wrong over here? My broke broken. fat fracturing through the skin. Can you tell us what happened Miss McFadden?
9: He tried to grab my fist I didn't know. He tried to take it away from me. Yes,
3: ma'am.
9: I wouldn't let him have it, and then he kicked me in the back, and I fell. Something happened to my leg. Oh, please do something. Please.
4: Just a minute, Miss McFadden. No. God, please help me. Excuse me, Sergeant. i have to give her more feet yes. injection. Sure, right ahead. Oh.
9: No. Oh. No. Was it a man? Yes. Was he tall? Yes.
3: About five foot eight to five ten, maybe? I
9: don't know.
3: Or was he dark?
9: Yes.
3: Or did he say anything to you at all?
9: No. He just kicked me and I fell down.
3: Was he wearing a coat? What? Uh, Was he wearing a coat? A, a coat? Yes,
9: ma'am. Oh, I don't know. He just kicked me and I fell down. In my, in my leg. It doesn't hurt anymore. I can hardly feel it. Not anymore. It doesn't hurt now. I don't know.
4: We'll take her in now. Right.
3: What'd you find out, Jim? Anything? Talked to the newsboy on the corner. Did he see it?
1: Not at the beginning. Heard the woman scream, turned around, saw the guy bring his knee up to her back, dropped her on the sidewalk.
3: Did he get a look at him?
1: Yeah. The fella took off down that way. newsboy ran after him, and he realized he couldn't
4: tag him and came back, called the ambulance.
3: How about a description?
4: Gave that to the other fellas. They got it out. Uh-huh.
3: Well, how's it line up to you, two?
1: All the way. It's the guy we're looking for.
3: We well, switched his M.O. He's hitting in the daytime now. Yeah. Something else, that old lady.
1: Hmm?
3: He's getting braver all the time. <laughs> we talked to the witness, and what he told us about the suspect, it was the same person we were after. There was only one change in his method of operation. Instead of waiting for darkness, he was now hitting in the daylight hours. During the time we'd spent on the case, the stats office had made several runs trying to give us some kind of a lead. Everything about the suspect had been checked and rechecked. Special show-ups were arranged, and possible suspects were shown to the victims. In spite of all our efforts, the suspect continued to run free. Wednesday, May 5th, Frank and I stopped for dinner across the street from the city hall. It's a big thing now. What's that? Mambo. Hmm? Mambo. Dance step. Faye's been trying to get me to learn she sees it on TV all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Faye says a man looks sophisticated when he does it. That's what she says, huh? Yeah. You think it would? Would what? Make me look sophisticated. Well, you want me to be honest? Sure, Joe. I don't think anything could do that for you. Well, I'm glad to hear it all, buddy. Mm-hmm. I'll tell Faye. Keep her off my back about taking them lessons.
4: Mm-hmm. Hi, Joe. Oh, hi, Dick. How's it going? Oh, uh, pretty good. Donahoe said you was over here.
3: Uh-huh. It's my partner, Frank Smith. This is Dick Blake. Writes for the L.A. Examiner. Hi. I haven't seen you for a
4: while, Frank. Oh, yeah. Hi, Nick. Want a cup of coffee? No, no, thanks. I just had dinner. You looking for something special, Dick? i like to get a story on the strong-arm man you fellas are after. Anything you can give me? No, you got about all of it. Now, what about the McFadden woman? Is she going to be all right?
3: Well, I haven't heard anything. I called the county hospital this afternoon. Yeah? Said her leg's been set. Going to take some time to heal. They're giving her a new kind of serum.
4: She's going to be all right, though, huh?
3: They're not sure yet. They don't know if there's any injury to her spine. Yeah, sure, a rough one. Well, that's the way this guy does business.
4: You know, we've been getting calls for the last ten days, letters to the editors, everything. Yeah,
3: we've get been getting line tickets but coming at us from all sides.
4: What do you got on
3: them? Well, we ought to put out a mimeographed answer to that. Hmm. <laughs> could take a lot of paper.
4: Is there anything I can have? Well,
3: it's no secret. Most of the victims have told us the same story. A guy comes up to him and starts a conversation. About a ride someplace, cup of coffee, anything, slow the victim down from me. Uh-huh. First chance he gets, he slams the victim into a wall and asks
4: for the money. Now, before the McFadden woman, he worked at night, didn't he? yeah. What about his choice of victims? A possible tie-in there?
3: Mm Mm-mm. Not that we can find. Anybody on the street is right. You got a description on him? Yeah, white male American, around 30, dark hair, dark eyes, 165 pounds, 5'8", 5'10". That's a couple of thousand people.
4: Yeah. Now, what about the area he's working? Is there anything there?
3: Well, seems to make most of his pickups down around the plaza.
4: And what about the victims themselves? What do you mean? Well, they usually look like they're money, or No, what? not
3: all the time. Last week, he beat up a serviceman in civilian clothes. He took $44 from him. Kid didn't look like he had a dime in his pocket. Yeah. Nothing yeah. about this guy fits a pattern, Dick. There's only one thing we can drop in a pocket. He's mean. The way he works, the kick he gets out of beating up a person, it's got to mean more than just money to him. Yeah. Well, one more thing. How close are you? Outside a Country Mile.
4: Yeah.
3: Half the division's been on his tail. This keeps up. Metro's going to ask for an increase in budget to hire more men. We've got the area covered like rain, and he don't get wet.
4: hmm Well, I gotta get back to the office, write something.
3: Try to take it easy on us, will you?
4: Look, we're on your side, now thanks for the help.
3: Okay, see you around, huh? Right, so long, Frank. Hey, cool, huh?
4: Yeah, anything comes up, let me know, huh?
3: We get something, you'll hear about it.
4: Would you like to get a break on the story?
3: Well, we're both even there. Huh? So would we. (laughs) For the next week, the patrol of the streets continued. The strong arm bandit hit three more times. Each time, the victim and the witnesses gave us the same description. It matched the suspect we were looking for. Thursday, May 13th, 7.52 p.m. We got back to the squad room. Anything come in? Yeah. Kick back on Whitey. How's it look? No good. Well, what do you mean? Well, according to Bracken, he's been in jail for the last two months. Yeah? He's waiting for trial in Stockton. What does it say what he fell for? Armed robbery. Hmm. Graduated, huh? Yeah, looks like it. I get it. Robbery Friday. Hello. Yeah. Well, could you speak up? I can't hear you. Yeah, that's better. How's that? Well, what was that name again? Yeah. Well, now give me your name. No, we can't do much with that. What do you got? Ellis says the name of the strong arm bandit's Benny Jessup. Well, what about the person who called? Hung up. Anonymous. Huh? Yeah. Well, what do you think? That was one way to find out. Yeah. Ask Benny Jessup. After we checked the name through R and I, Frank and I went out to Benny Jessup's address. Yeah. Who is it? Benny Jessup. What do you want? You Benny Jessup? Yeah. Police officers want to talk to you.
4: You looking for something special? A
3: couple of questions we want
4: to ask you. Sure, I got no beef with the cops. Appreciate it. If you keep it short, I got big trouble. but thought this salsa might help. Uh, must have got a hold of some bad food. really. Uh, excuse
3: me. Yeah. What's it all about? You ever been arrested, Jessup?
4: Yeah, look, it'd be a lot easier and faster if I started off telling you I've been around, huh? You guys checked the record before you came up here. You know I fell once for burglary. You know I'm free now. don't owe nobody nothing. Let's go from there. All right. You
3: got a job? Yeah. What do you do? I'm a candy butcher.
9: What's that? I sell candy. Where? One of the theaters downtown. When do you work? Nights. Name them. Monday
3: through Saturday. What hours? Check in at 4. Work till 11, 11.30. How come you're not there tonight? I told you I'm sick. How long you had the job? Oh, well, a couple of years. Anybody at the theater to back that up? What do you mean? Well, anybody will say you're there.
4: Look, you better tell
3: me what this is about, huh? I'm not hung up on anything. I got no part of any action you guys are in on. Well, it comes down to one thing. If you can prove you're working every night, you're clean. Yeah, I know that now. How do you sell this candy? Hmm? Where are you in the theater when you work? All over, storeroom, lobby, all over. You got a regular stand or you work in the aisles? Stand in the lobby. Somebody there to take the tickets? Yeah. Well, he ought to be able to tell us then, shouldn't he? Tell you nothing. I've been working since I got out of the joint. You go
4: down there and start asking a lot of questions, you're going to cause a lot of trouble.
3: Is that right? Why will he get me fired? Don't worry about it. Yeah, easy to say. You haven't got the job. Better call and check, huh? Yeah. You got a phone? You see one around? Give me the number. I don't know it. You work there, but you don't know the phone number. I forgot. Where is the place? Corner, Third, and Weller. What's the manager's
4: name? You got to talk to him?
3: Now, look, I can do it on the phone, or we can go on down there. How do you want it? Name's Woodrum. I'll check it, Joe.
4: Look, you tell me what this is about. If it
3: fits, you'll know. Who turned you on me? What? Look, who tried the box job? You got reason to come up here. I don't know what you're digging for, but I'm not around. Somebody gave you my name, didn't they? We heard it. Who? Well, if we told you the truth, you wouldn't believe it. Somebody I know? That's hard to say. You just need two words. What's that? First and last name. We got a call. We don't know who it was from. person said we were looking for you. And you barrel up here and rousting. You got no rousting. We had to check it out. What is it, burglary? No. Well, then I'm home free. Only thing I ever fell for. I learned. How about it? You talked to Woodrum? Yeah, what about my job? His alibi hole. He's been there every work night for the last four months. I told you that. All right, you're out, but somebody's on your back. Nothing new. I've been carrying a lot of people. All right, Jessup, we'll leave it right there. Keep your nose clean. Thanks a lot, cop. not sure I want you on my team. Huh? But what about my job? What did Woodrum say? You got no trouble. What do you mean? He says take care of yourself. Yeah? Be at work tomorrow night. We'll see you around, Jessup. I didn't tell him everything. What? I talked to the manager on the phone. He filled me in. Yeah. You know the guy who called you? Yeah, what about him? He's an usher down there. Yeah. He wants to be a candy butcher. Frank and I left Jessup and went downtown to talk to the theater manager in person. He verified the fact that Jessup had been at work during the hours of the robberies. Other people who worked in the theater were questioned. Their statements ruled out Jessup is our suspect. Another day went by. There were several strong-arm robberies in the downtown area, but none with the same viciousness used by our suspect. Saturday, May 15th, Frank and I got back to the office. Hi, Joe. Frank. Jim. Yeah. Hi. What do you got there? Talked to Skipper this afternoon. Had a meeting with Chief Brown. Yeah. They drew the line, said we gotta come up with something. Well, we got half a minute Metro working on it now. All the streets are covered. There's not much more we can do. The guy's gotta make a mistake. All we need is a little time. Skipper just cut off the supply. Well, you have any ideas?
4: Yeah, I've been going over it. Take a look at this map hmm. Most of the strong arms have been taking place in this area. Yeah, we've had cars here, here, along here, and uh, covering the alleys in here.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: But suppose we put our own men in that area on foot? Decoy system.
3: Huh? Yeah, only thing we haven't tried. Well, it might work. Something to do. How do we set it up? Guy makes most of his pickups around the plaza, right? That's right. Then we start from there. Each night, one of us walks around the streets, try to pick the guy up. Other two follow in a car. What's the captain think of the idea? I haven't talked to him yet. He can't be. It's a possibility. When do we start? How about tonight? Well, let's go. Wait a minute. Who's going to do the walking? Doesn't make a lot of difference. How about flipping a coin? All right.
2: I bet. Fine.
3: Huh. That's one you didn't get, Joe. Really? No. I win. I hope so. For the next two days, the plan was carried out. The thief didn't hit began to wonder if he'd quit his operation. Monday, May 17th, while Frank and Jim Austin followed me in Unit 1K80, I acted as decoy. 12.47 a.m. It looked like another wasted night.
1: You got a match? Yeah. How about a cigarette?
3: against the wall. Come on, move. All right,
4: now get your hands in the back of you. All right. Come on, don't shove, cop. Just do what you're told. It'll save you a lot of trouble. Jim?
1: Yeah, here you
3: go. All right, you. Hands down. Mm-hmm. Turn around. What's your name? Why don't you find out? Uh... We will. We want to save time. Schaefer. What's your name, fella? What's your name? You're not going to do any good with him. What do you mean? He's deaf. His hearing aid's broken. You're not getting through at all. Is that so? Well, then you tell us his name. Sidney Remler. Just the two of you in this? You see anybody? Else? I ask
9: you a question. You got an answer? What'd you tell him? I can't hear what you said. Never mind.
3: I told you you wouldn't get through him. You got it wrong. Huh? We'll get through.
2: listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action.
3: Frank, Jim, Austin, and I took the suspects to the city hall for questioning. You guys got nothing on us. You're sitting in the wrong place, fella. That right? We got you made on tonight. Time we get through, we'll tag you for at least ten more counts. You better stick to coffee.
9: Isn't anybody going to let me know what's going
4: on? Can't you fix that thing We'll get them? it
3: taken care of. What do you guys live? Big cop. That's what you pay All for. right, we can do it the hard way if that's how you want it. You're getting no help from me. That works both ways. Oh, you're whistling anyway. You maybe got us for tonight, that's all.
9: What's going on? Oh, shut up. Be careful what you tell them.
3: You guys work alone? You got a reason I think there's anybody else? We want you to tell us. You're off your
4: rocker, cop. You better put a button on that mouse, Schaefer. The way you've treated people doesn't give you a soft ticket.
3: It doesn't make any difference how I got it. I'm going to ride it all away. way. Yeah, well, you stick with that and see where you land. really off your rocker. Isn't
9: anybody going to tell me what's going on?
3: All right, take everything out of your pocket, Schaefer. Fine. Come on. Just put it right there on the table. A lot of paper there. You always carry that much money? Yeah. How much is there? I don't know. You must have some idea. Ah, maybe three, four hundred dollars. You work for a living? No. Where'd you get the money? From a bank. What'd you use to take it out? What? A gun or a pen.
9: I didn't steal it, if that's what you're trying to build.
3: A lot of money. How'd you get it? My old man left it to me. Well, you don't work at all, then, huh? No, I
9: don't believe in it. How about him?
4: No. No, he doesn't work either.
9: what did he say about me? He wants to know if you work. Huh? He wants to know if you work. No, none of us do. Giles, Dave, and me have incomes. None of us work. Shut up.
3: Who's Dave? I don't know. Now, look, we're about through playing games with you. You come in here like you're 12 feet tall and try to throw your weight around, well, it isn't going to work. The sooner you realize it, the better it's going to be for you. Now, how about it? Who is he? You know we will come up with it. How much do you think he'll do to get you out of here? What he can't. No, that's not going to hold your stuff. You can call it two ways, easy and yours. Now, which is it going to be? How about it? What do you want to know? This Dave. What's his full name? Santel.
4: Was he with you in all the robberies?
3: Yeah. What about tonight? He stayed home. Why?
4: He set up all the others.
3: We figured we'd pull this one by ourselves. Where's he now? I don't know. Home, I guess. Where's that? In an apartment out on Fountain. front. That's in Hollywood? Yeah. What's the phone number? What are you going to do? Just give me the phone number, will you? Hollywood 98844. I'll dial if you just talk. Are you gonna use a gadget, Joe? Yeah, we might as well. All right. We can all listen. It's Hollywood nine eight eight four four. talk
4: right into that thing. Hello. Hello, Dave. Yeah, this you, Josh? Yeah. Sydney with you? Yeah. How'd it go? Pretty good. You coming home right away? Yeah. I'll go out and get some beer. I should be back by the time you guys get in. Okay, Dave see you. Uh, as soon as you get home, we'll have a celebration, huh? Yeah, sure. Hey, I tell you what, I'll give the girls a call. Sound all right to you? Yeah, it's fine. Oh, one thing, though.
1: What's happening?
4: You know that, Helen. always got a couple of crow girlfriends around. You better stop on the
3: way
1: home, huh? What for? I'll well, see if you can pick up a couple more guys. <laughs>
3: We ran David Santel's name and description through r and and we found that he'd served a term at the county jail for violation of the State Narcotics Act. There was no record on either Giles Schaefer or Sidney Remler. Remler was taken to the main jail, and Frank and I, along with Jim Austin and Giles Schaefer, drove out to Santel's apartment. It was a large place in the Hollywood area. While Jim Austin stayed with the suspect, Frank and I checked with the manager. He told us that Santel had left a few minutes before we got to the place. The four of us went inside. I you go over there and sit down.
4: Well, you guys sure throw muscle around. Yeah,
3: we got a long way to catch you.
4: All right, what am I supposed to do when Dave
3: comes back? Just sit there and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you
1: know, it's going to be pretty interesting.
3: What's that? The expression on your face when the judge turns us loose. Well, don't make book on that. The place
1: is clean, Joe.
3: All right. You guys never do one honest day's work, and you always live high, don't you? Stay there, Schaefer. Aren't you all set?
9: Watch the
3: fire! you. Now, is there anything else you want to throw? No. If you cause me more trouble, I'll make a hole in you big enough to walk through. All right, all right.
4: Turn around. All right.
9: Nice, clean.
4: Put your hands down. You don't need those. I'm not going to give you any trouble. Let's make sure. I told you not to put those on me. Try to muscle us, cop. I got a lawyer. You're gonna be on the carpet for this. Time we get through with you, i will have you walking a beach so far out, you'll be lucky to get home on
3: weekends. You know, you punks make me sick to my stomach. You lean on some old man or woman, you strong arm a service man. You got about as much guts as an underfed worm. Why
4: don't you save it for the court? You huh? sit on
3: your mouth, fella. I'll let you know when I'm through. I'm gonna tell you something. You remember what happened to you tonight. You put it on the wire and get it around to the rest of the two bit bums that worked this same filthy operation. You tell them every time they put the arm on an old man, every time they slug a serviceman, they're never gonna know. It might be a cop, and if it's not, there'll be four of us waiting in the next doorway. So before you roll that next victim, you think about that, will you? You got it all off your chest now? No, I got one more thing for you. You're going to jail, and we're going to drop every book we got on you. There's a mirror in the car. On the way in, you look at it and smile. What for? Be happy you still got all those teeth.
1: The
2: story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On September 14th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Giles Herbert Schaefer, David Arthur Santel, and Sidney Thomas Remler were tried and convicted of robbery on the first degree, 14 counts, and received sentence as prescribed by law. Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for not less than five years on each count. Because of the viciousness shown by the suspects, their sentences were set to run consecutively.
1: Dragnet is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a juvenile detail. In the past six weeks, a junior high school has been broken into three times and extensive damage has been done by vandals. Your job, investigate. Investigate.
3: It was Monday, March 9th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of juvenile detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Powers. My name's Friday. We're on our way out from the office. It was 8 32 a.m. when we got to the Hillside Junior High School, the vice principal's office.
10: Good morning. May
3: I help you? Yes, ma'am. Police officers, we'd like to see Miss Ridley.
10: Oh, yes. You've been here before, haven't you? That's right. Uh-huh. Miss Ridley's expecting you. You can go right in.
3: Thank, Thank you very much.
10: Come in.
5: Good morning, officers. Come in, please. And sit down. Thank you. We seem to be getting more than our share of trouble.
3: Yes, ma'am. What is it
5: this time? Same as before, a little more serious. Cafeteria? Yes. Wait until you see the place. Just downright vandalism. Food thrown all over on the walls and the floor. Mm-hmm. But they didn't stop there.
3: What do you
5: mean? The student supply store was broken into. In fact, that's where the entrance was made. Yeah? girl in charge says that a number of items are missing. What was taken? Things the students use in school. Notebooks, pencils, fountain pens.
4: I see.
5: There were a lot of transportation books taken, too.
3: Those are the kind of kids use on the buses and streetcars, don't yes, you mean?
5: that's right.
3: Well, they have serial numbers, don't they?
5: Yes, we keep a record of them in the office.
3: You'll be able to give us a list of the numbers on the missing books? Oh, yes. All right, fine. What if we could take a look at that storeroom?
5: Surely. It's right next to the office. I wasn't so sure the last time, but I am now. What do you mean? About who's responsible for this?
3: You got an idea who might have done it?
5: Well, I'm pretty sure it must be a student or a former student.
2: Why do you say that, Miss Ridley?
5: Well, there's the window. They entered. Mm-hmm. Somebody must have known that this window opened into the storeroom.
3: Mm-hmm. Screen's torn here, and the window's broken. You have somebody special in mind who might have done this?
5: No. It wouldn't be fair to cast suspicion on any boy or girl without proof.
3: Well, have you had trouble with any students since we were here last? Yes. What was wrong, ma'am?
5: During study periods, a group of five boys were causing minor disturbances. Uh Uh-huh. But it's all been straightened out. I had a talk with the leader of the group. Found out he wanted to take part in school athletics. His parents didn't want him to. Afraid he might be injured. Mm Mm-hmm. So I called them in for a conference. We talked, and they finally agreed to let the boy participate in school sports. Mm-hmm. That's all there was to it. Haven't had any trouble since.
3: How about the other boys?
5: They weren't really bad. Without a leader, they just settled down. I'm sure it wasn't any of them.
3: Mm-hmm. I if you could tell us if anything has been moved in here.
5: No. This is just the way we found it.
3: Mm-hmm. I wonder why they didn't mess this room up, too.
5: I don't know. I've been teaching for 20 years, and I'm pretty sure of one thing. What's that, ma'am? Children do wrong, but not because they want to be tough or brave. Usually because they're afraid of something. Mm-hmm. Most of them are pretty frightened kids. They need help. Well, we'll buy that. The problem is, what happens to them if they don't get it?
3: I'm afraid you know the answer to that one better than I do. They'll still be around. Yes? As frightened adults. In the cafeteria, we found conditions about the same as we had after the previous acts of vandalism at the school. The refrigerator had been ransacked. Cartons of milk, along with containers of ice cream and frozen foods, had been smashed against the walls and the floor. The tables had been overturned, and the chairs had been thrown around and broken. The floor was covered with glass. Frank put in a call to Leighton Prince, and they sent a crew out to go over the storeroom and the cafeteria. Miss Ridley told us that she had already notified school security. Before we left, she furnished us with a complete list of stolen articles and the serial numbers for the missing student transportation books. We returned to Georgia Street and met with Captain Powers.
4: You're pretty sure it's jubiles.
3: Yeah, the kind of stuff it was taken, the damage done, sure points that way. Any help from Miss Ridley? Yeah, but she couldn't give us any names. No teacher-pupil problem. Yeah, she mentioned a minor case. which said had been cleared up.
4: Mm-hmm. This is the third time in six weeks for the school, isn't
3: it? Yeah. Kids don't usually travel very far for these deals. There's a good chance that some of them from the school... Now the way it looks, if they try to peddle the stuff to the other kids, we might be able to get a lead on them. Mm -hmm. There's a hitch to that, though. What do you mean? Well, Miss Ridley said that she was going to make an announcement to the student body. Yeah. She's going to tell them to be on the lookout for the stolen Mm article.
4: Kids that took the stuff are in school. They might lay low for a while. That's it. How much was taken? About $500 worth of school supplies. Pretty good haul.
3: Yeah. What do you want to do about it? Well, if it's all right with you, Frank and I'd like to put a stake out on the school. All right, When? We know the janitors work into the early morning hours on Fridays. Yeah. So it figures the school must be broken into sometime on Saturday or Sunday. All right. When do you want to start? This coming weekend. Okay. I'll arrange a clearance for you with school security. Right. Any more help you need, let me know. Whoever did it must have something against the cafeteria. The place was a real mess. Yeah? Bad enough the first couple of times. Didn't leave anything in the freezers this trip. Sure doesn't make much sense. I don't know. Maybe it does. What? Each time they hit the cafeteria, right? Yeah, that's right. They didn't tear up the storeroom. Threw a few pencil boxes around, that's about all. Yes, but every time food has been destroyed. That's right. Well, we got a reason for doing it. Yeah? Somebody that can't resist the urge to eat all the time doesn't like being overweight. So, without knowing why they do it, they destroy food. Mm hmm. It could be a part of it, anyway. It's only a theory, but it might hold water. Yeah, well, that's true, but we don't know if it's a gang we're after or just one person. Another thing. They've broken in three times, might have been by different kids. Good questions, all of them. Yeah. That's why you get paid. Hmm? To get the answers. We kept in contact with Miss Ridley during the rest of the week, but as far as she knew, none of the stolen articles showed up. Captain Powers talked with the school security section of the Board of Education, and Frank and I staked out in the school on Saturday and Sunday. There was no disturbance. We went back the following weekend. Saturday passed without trouble. Sunday, 7.34 p.m., we were sitting in the vice principal's office. Right, yeah, come on, Right.
9: All right, son, come on, party's over. What? Come on, stop. him. Let me go, let me go. Right. Take it easy,
3: boy. Now, take it easy, this isn't going to help. Just hold still. What's your name? Jerry. What's your last name? Beckle. You've done this before? Come on, son, answer me. All right, let's go. You
8: gonna put me in jail?
3: We'll see. I'm not afraid of you cops. There's no reason you should be. Why'd you throw all this food around? I don't know. You haven't got a reason?
4: No. Sure went to a lot of trouble to catch me.
3: Not too much, son. Huh? You made it easy. Before leaving the school, Frank called school security and notified them of the broken window and the damage done by Jerry Beckel. We drove back to Georgia Street to question the subject further. On the way down, he refused to say anything. At the office, he told us he lived at 1206 Walnut Street. Frank went to check Central Juvenile Index. 8.42 p.m.
4: That's all. Not going to tell you anymore.
3: Now, let's get one thing straight, son. You're in trouble. We'd like to help you, but you got to play ball with us. We'll level with you, but you've got to play it the same way. Now, you understand? Yeah. All right. Now, we can't do anything for you unless you want us to. Unless we know why you do these things, it'll be pretty hard for you to find a way out. Is that clear? I guess so. Well, the only way we can find out is if you tell us the truth. Joe? So, yeah. The boy has no previous record. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. right, how about it? You ready to answer our questions now, son? Sure. But it won't do any good. Why do you say that? Can't change my looks, can you? Well, why? There's no reason to do that. You look healthy to me. Sure, I'm healthy. Fat and ugly, too. That's why I had the trouble with Miss Ridley. Well, now, suppose you tell us about it.
4: She kicked me out of school. Why? Fighting. Who were you fighting with? Oh, different guys. Why'd you fight? Called me names. i would go ahead? It's my fault.
3: I can't help how I look. You sure that's why you had the fights?
4: It wouldn't let me alone. Suppose you think I'm real good looking, huh?
3: Son, I told you we'd level with you. You're not an ugly kid. Now, it seems to me you're imagining a lot.
4: Sure, suppose they call me lard barrel and witch man because they imagined it too.
3: Maybe they got another reason. Like what? To needle you. If you didn't let them know it bothered you, they probably wouldn't have kept it up. They called you names to get you into fights. Don't you think that's it? That's what you say. Well, that's what we believe. She didn't have to kick me out of school. How many fights you have, Jack? I don't know. Well, you must have some idea. Quite a few. Miss Ridley talked to you? Yeah. She gave you more than one chance, didn't
4: she? Yeah. The kids kept after me. Wouldn't let me alone.
3: You don't like Miss
4: Ridley, do you? Why should I?
3: Is that why you broke
4: into the school? Maybe.
3: How many times did you go in? Three. Did you steal the things from the storeroom? Yeah. Where are they? Huh? You live with your father and mother? Yeah. Any brothers or sisters?
4: Two brothers, three sisters.
3: Well, now, when you had the trouble at school, did Miss Ridley talk to your parents? No. She didn't get in touch with them at all, huh?
4: Sure, she tried, but they didn't go in
3: to see her. Is there any reason why they didn't?
4: Oh, just didn't go, that's all.
3: Well, I guess we better go out and have a talk with them this time. Why? Well, I will have to know about this trouble that you're in. Maybe if we talk to them, we can sort of work this problem out together, don't you think? That won't do any good. Why not, son? They think I'm fat and ugly. <laughs> Henry Beckel went on to say that he was now attending the Jansen School, one of two maintained in the city for juveniles who have difficulty making adjustments in normal school life. He also told us that on all three occasions he had been alone when he broke into the hillside school. We drove out to his home. It was a small frame house, badly in need of repair. We met his father, Henry Beckel. We told him the reason for our visit.
4: So you just can't stay out of trouble. First it's fighting and you get kicked out of school. Now this mess. What's the matter with you anyhow? I don't
3: know, Dad. Excuse me, Mr. Beckel, but this kind of talk isn't going to get us anywhere. Your son has a definite problem and he
4: needs help. Sure, he's got a problem. He's no good. Never has been, never will be.
3: You want to take the boy outside? Sure. Come on, son.
4: I suppose you're going to give me the answers.
3: You sound like you think it's my fault he got into this trouble. Well, you might have helped keep him out of it. Sure, just follow him around all day and night, slap his wrist when he steps out of line. You were asked to go over to his school when he had trouble before. Why didn't you go?
4: I didn't have the time. I got to worry about five other kids. They got to eat... Can't
3: be taking time away from work just because one of them can't keep his nose clean. What about your wife? What do you mean? Well, couldn't she have gone over to the school? Mm, Why don't you ask her? Is she here now? Nope. Gone out, probably at a movie. Says she has to have some fun, so she leaves me with the kids. Is there any reason why she couldn't go and talk with Miss Ridley about your son, Jerry? Yeah. She figured it was his own problem. Says he has to learn to fight his own battles. Well, that's fine when you know what you're fighting. Your boy doesn't. Nothing the matter with him. That's where you're wrong. Your son has an inferiority complex about his looks. No, big deal. That's one of the things that's wrong with him. You trying to tell me he gets into trouble because of the way he feels about his looks? It's possible that's a good part of it. You're going to have to go to jail? I'm afraid he will.
4: Don't you put kids on probation sometimes, let the parents look after them?
3: Yeah, when they have parents. Couldn't you do that for Jerry? If you could show the authorities that you'd be responsible for him, it might work out. I could do that. There's something more you got to do.
6: Hmm?
3: Find time to talk to him. <laughs> we took the subject along with the recovered stolen property back to Georgia Street. The next day, Miss Ridley came down and identified the articles as those taken from the school storeroom. She said that Jerry Beckel had been in numerous fights before he was dismissed from school. During her investigation of the disorder, she found that Beckel had provoked several of the fights. She went on to say that the subject had been a below-average student, showing little interest in academic work. A petition was filed in Beckel's behalf with the juvenile court. The petition was sustained, and he was placed on probation with the Los Angeles County Probation Department and allowed to remain in the custody of his parents. March 31st, 8.06 a.m.
2: I just picked up the reports for yesterday. You want to check them over?
3: Yeah, all right. Thanks.
2: I saw the skipper on the way in. Yeah. You remember that
3: Austin boy? Car thief, wasn't he? Yeah. Violated his probation. Picked up again last night. Too bad. What was that kid's name on the hillside school, Kate, that heavy set boy?
6: Hmm.
3: One that thought he was so ugly? Yeah, that's the one. Zacho or something. Yeah. What about him? Well, look here. The description on this report fits him. Listen to this. Victim states the subject said to her, what are you smiling for because I'm so ugly?
4: It might be. What's the charge?
3: Pretty bad this time. Yeah. Attempted robbery and shooting.
2: You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action.
3: The robbery and shooting had occurred the previous night about 7.30 p.m. We checked with the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. We found the victim, Linda Cotterly, had been treated for a minor flesh wound in the leg. She'd been shot with a 22 caliber pistol. The hospital report showed that she'd been released and allowed to return home. We contacted the officers working the case and checked the reports that had been filed. We asked if we could talk to the victim. Frank and I drove out to the address and we were admitted by her sister. Linda Cotterly was lying on a couch in the front room. We identified ourselves and asked her if she'd mind going over the story for us.
10: I told the other officers all about it. Yes,
3: we understand that. We saw their report, but we appreciate your telling us just what happened.
10: Well, guess it won't do no harm. Suppose if more of you know about it, you'll have a better chance to catch a little stinker.
4: That's right, ma'am.
10: I shouldn't have said that.
4: Ma'am?
10: little stinker. He was a big stinker. Oh, yeah. Could have killed me. Gives me cold chills thinking about it.
3: We can understand.
10: I wonder if you'd do something for me.
3: Yes, ma'am, what's
10: that? There's an afghan on the sewing machine in the dining room. Would you get it for me? Sure. Thank you.
3: What if you tell us the story.
10: Sure. Well, you know I was shot in the leg right here. Yes, we know. First, I thought it was just some kid playing a joke. Here you are, ma'am. Oh, thank you, Mr. Smith. Would you just drape it over me? Gently now.
6: All right.
10: That's fine, thank you.
6: Yes, ma'am.
3: Now, you said you thought it was a joke when this boy tried to hold you up.
10: Yeah, he was so young looking. Couldn't have been more than 15 or 16. Yeah. He was sort of chubby. Didn't look mean at all. I guess I should have been scared, but I wasn't. I just smiled.
3: Did he say anything when he approached you?
10: About it being a hold-up, you mean? That's right. No, came up to me. had a gun in his hand.
3: That's when you smiled. That's right. Then what happened?
10: He got a real mad look on his face. Made him look tough.
2: Is that when he spoke to you? How'd you know? Once in the report.
10: Well, that's right. I'd forgotten. Well, then I guess I can skip the part about what he said.
3: We'd like to hear his exact words if you can remember him.
10: He said, what are you smiling for, because I'm so ugly? Mm-hmm.
3: Did you get a good look at him?
10: Mm-hmm. Yes no.
3: Well, how do you mean
10: that? Well, I did see him, but I don't remember his face too well. I know he was young. Not too good looking, but it's hard to say just what he did look
3: like. You think you'd know him if you ever saw him again?
10: Oh, might. It's pretty dark, I'm not sure.
3: All right, what happened after he spoke to you?
10: I said no, meaning I didn't think he was ugly. And they told me to give him my purse. That's when it happened. What was that, man Well, I got scared. I knew he wasn't fooling. I screamed and started running. Then I heard the noise, gunfire. Right, go ahead. Then I felt a sting on my leg when the bullet hit me. Kept on running, went past a vacant lock. Kept screaming, and then I saw a man across the street open his front door and look out. I ran up to him, told him I'd been shot, and he called the police.
3: When you said this person was chubby, did you mean he was fat?
10: Well, he was kind of big around the middle, and his face was sort of round-like.
3: How about his hair? Was it dark? Yeah. Did you notice if it was straight or wavy?
10: No. Tell me, you got an idea who this kid was?
3: Well, we're not sure.
10: Hmm. Huh. I well, know one thing. What's that? The kid should be taught a lesson. Yeah. Only one thing to do with them when they're that rotten. Slap them around a little and just forget about them.
3: Well, that's the trouble here. Hmm? That's what they did to this boy. Frank and I went back to the office and checked the records on the petition, and we found that the subject's father, Henry Beckel, was employed at a lumber yard. We drove down to the place and found him stacking lumber in the back lot. What's on your mind this time? How's Jerry been getting along? All right, I guess. Attending school regularly? As far as I know, haven't had any bad reports. What's he been doing nights? He stays in the house. Goes out once in a while, never too late. Why? Where was he Monday night? Home. All night? Yeah. How about Tuesday. After supper, he went out for a while, came in early. Why? How's your son been acting lately? What do you mean? Has he had any trouble at school? I told you, I haven't had any bad reports from him. How about at home? No trouble. We're trying to help him. Well, and as far as you know, he's been in pretty good spirits. Is that right? Look, you know he's no ball of fire, but he seems to be happy, you know? Uh Uh-huh. What is all this, anyway? We're just checking something out.
4: Well, the way you ask questions, it sounds like you think
3: Jerry's in trouble again. No, we didn't say that. Well, you don't have to. I know what you're getting at, and I don't like it.
2: No reason to get upset.
3: they are right. How would you feel? Jerry's been released to my custody. You're as much as telling me I haven't been doing the right thing. Well, if you're sure of that in your own mind, you don't have anything to worry about, do you? Well, I've done what I can, but I can't watch him all the time. What's he supposed to have done this time? We're not sure he's done anything. You wouldn't be nosing around if you didn't have some reason.
4: Just something we got to check. All right. But if he got off on the wrong foot again, don't try to pin any tails on me. I've been doing the right thing. But I don't mind telling you I've... I've never been too sure he would straighten out.
3: Is that right? Yeah. But I'm doing what I can for him. Yeah? I feed him, I put clothes on his back, I put a roof over his head. What more can I give him? You own a gun, Mr. Beckel? What? I said you own a gun. Yeah, why? What kind? 22 pistol. We drove over to the Jansen school and we talked to the principal. We explained our business, and he told us that Jerry Beckel hadn't been in school all day. We drove out to the boy's home, and we met his mother. She said he wasn't there, but he'd probably be home about 5 o'clock. We went back to the car and waited. At 4.30 p.m., Henry Beckel returned from work. He drove into the yard, and we met him at the back door. So you're here again. That's right. Let's go in the house, Beckel. Mm If you
4: want it. Go ahead. Want to tell me what this is all about now? We'd like to talk to Jerry first. Well, if you want to see him, why didn't you go over to his school? We did. He wasn't there today. Mm-hmm. The kid's up to his old tricks. Again.
5: Oh, they found you.
4: This is my wife.
5: We've met. What's the trouble?
4: Jerry again. He wasn't in school today.
5: Is that all? We should get out of the kitchen so I can fix supper.
3: Yeah. You guys want to come on into the other room? All right. <laughs> While we're waiting for your son, I wonder if you'd get that gun for us. I don't know why I should. you got no choice, fella. In the closet. You said that before, now where is it? Over there. Where? It's in that box, a small flat one. This one here? Yeah. When's the last time you fired this? I don't know, it's been quite a while. What do you think? Uh, smells like it was fired recently. What time does Jerry usually get home, Beckel? We eat at 5.30. He'll be here by then. Uh-huh. You don't have to worry about him not showing up. He might skip school, but that fat, lazy slob won't miss a meal. Mm-hmm. He eats twice as much as the other kids. No wonder he looks like he I does. Won't. Let's go. Right. Go on in,
9: Washington. Hi, son. Hi.
6: What
3: do you want? Fred, we're going to have to take you with us. Can he eat first? It won't hurt him any to miss a meal. Look at him. Looks like a fat toad. Well, why don't you say... All something? right. doesn't make any difference. You'd like to be rid of me anyway. Take it easy, son. You all want to hear it? Okay,
4: I'll tell you. I shot her.
3: We took Jerry Beckel down to Georgia Street for further questioning. After the outbreak at his home, he quieted down and he refused to say anything more. We talked to him for an hour and he finally admitted the whole story.
2: All right, son, why'd you take the gun?
4: To get some money, I guess.
3: Well, now, was that the only way you could get it? I don't know. You could have gotten a job. I tried to. Yeah? Nobody wanted me. Well, how many people did you asked for work? Just one place. And then you gave up? That was enough. I knew I wouldn't get a job. Did they tell you they wouldn't give you work? I didn't have to. I knew just the way they looked at me. Did you ever ask your father for money?
4: Yeah. never gave me any. just read me off. What did he say to you? What he always does. I'm fat, lazy. Not good for anything but put my feet under the table and eat. So you decided to get out and
3: rob somebody, huh? Yeah. Why'd you shoot at the woman? I'm not sure. But well, she didn't do you any harm, did she?
4: No. She made me mad, laughed at me, just like all the rest. She did, huh? Sure. Because I'm fat. Did she say that? No. I could tell what she was thinking. You could, huh? People shouldn't laugh at somebody just because they're fat. Yeah. They got no right to do that.
3: Maybe. But how much did you have? Huh? When you shot her.
1: The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 14th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles.
3: <laughs> Jerome Howard Beckel was remanded to the juvenile authorities and placed in the foster home, where he was assured of 24-hour supervision. One of the conditions of his probation was that he received psychiatric aid by a doctor appointed by the court. Dragnet... The story of your police force in action is a presentation
1: of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.
0: Thanks for joining us for 1001 Radio Days, your home for Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.